right, how are we doing? Good, 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 good. Um, if you have your Bibles, grab those. We're going to be in Jonah 4. Uh, we'll start in verse 6 here in just a few minutes. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. Um, or if you have your phone, your device, if you want to follow on the app, you can do that as well. Sermon notes uh, are underneath worship sermon notes, and you can follow along where we'll be this morning uh, on that also. Um, man, I have just, I have loved teaching through Jonah, and we're going to end this morning uh, through the book of Jonah. Um, but man, all that God has done and accomplished. I, I don't know about you, but in me, um, just, just some of the things that he has stirred and some of the things that he has reminded me of and, and some of the things that we have just looked at over the last eight weeks uh, just to be reminded of, man, how, how glorious our God truly is. Uh, all that God can do and accomplish uh, what appears to be even in the uh, most uh, faint times or difficult times or, uh, I mean, our, is our God not just so good? Uh, um, I mean, just the heart of, of him, his nature and character that's revealed throughout the book of Jonah. I mean, it, 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 it blows me away. Um, and so, I mean, I've, I've just, I have, I was talking to a friend this week and, and talking to him, um, just kind of sharing where we're at as a church and what God's been doing and um, just, just told him and how, how much I have um, enjoyed uh, walking through the book of Jonah uh, with, with my brothers and sisters here at New Life. And so um, we're going to continue to do that and we'll close out this morning. Um, so just to kind of get everybody caught up so you know where we're at, we jumped into chapter four last week and uh, what we see is we see Jonah who's ticked off. Jonah is mad because God shows mercy and grace to the people of Nineveh. God shows mercy and grace to these people who deserve judgment and damnation and wrath and, and, and all of those type of things. And Jonah gets mad at that. He throws out some pretty uh, heavy indictments against God where he calls God loving and gracious, calls him merciful. God, I knew that you would uh, relent of that. God, he, it's just like he, he indicts God of things that you would want your God to be indicted with. Uh, character and nature of our God. That's who you want. You, you don't want a cranky God. You don't want a God that's mad at you all the time. You don't want a God that you have to try to appease and try to uh, all of these type of things or he just at a whip stitch could just, where the heck did whip stitch come from? Gosh. Hanging out with those West Virginia folk too much. No, um, but, but just, uh, I mean, just in a moment, you don't want a God just in a moment's notice who will just, uh, who knows what to you? No, no. He says that our God is loving and gracious and merciful, which are all our great attributes of God, are they not? And so he gets mad at God for showing the people of Nineveh uh, those, those realities. And so then what we see with Jonah is this, he gets so mad that he begins to pout. He, he says that he wishes that he was dead, and then he begins to pout. And he pouts because he's more concerned about himself than he is God rescuing a people uh, that need God so desperately. And so his heart becomes bitter, and we're going to look at that even more today. And then what we see is Jonah uh, gets engaged by God as God comes after Jonah and engages him with conversation all the while to have Jonah sit back and watch and see what God's going to do. And so that's, that's what we're going to pick up this morning, Jonah 4, uh, 4 6. Um, I want to ask you if you'd pray with me uh, and then we will jump in. Father, we love you. Jesus, we need you. God, speak this morning in this place. Father, I, I just, I pray God that you would do a mighty work here. God, that you would... Start in this heart here, and God, that you would just work through and make yourself known, God, in a mighty, mighty way. Father, soften our hearts, draw us closer to you. God, give us a passion and a desire for the things that you have a passion and desire for. Oh, God, I pray that you give us a heart for this lost world. God, that we would see through your lens the reality of what awaits the man and woman who don't know you as Lord and Savior. And God, that that would wreck us. God, do a work, I beg of you, and we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Jonah 4, 6 says this. 
says this. It says, now the Lord God appointed a plant. So this is the exact same word that we've kind of seen echoed all throughout the book of Jonah. And that's what I love about God. I love his, his intentionality. I love uh, just, just how purposeful he is. Here he's, he's reminding Jonah of what he's already reminded him. He's already said this, this, this word appointed. And I could just imagine as Jonah hears this, as Jonah uh, is getting this, uh, just, just flashbacks of, of all that God has done already. Every time that God has used this word in conversation with him, like Jonah 1.17 where it says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So, so, he, so he's reminded of. So I would imagine the moment that God uh, said this or he appoints this plan or, or this word pops up again, I would just imagine him just flashing back to that. Him seeing that, going back to that place um, where, where he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And I don't know about you, but I would like to think that that would be enough to get my attention. I mean, being swallowed by a fish? Uh, I mean, uh, hello? I would really like to think, but then again, it seems like when I read scripture, I always kind of like to put myself a little bit better than the people I read. And, and I really believe the thing about scripture is this, is that, is that we always kind of tend to lean toward like the heroes of the scripture, when in all reality, we're probably more not so like the heroes of the scripture. So, so I think that Jonah, I think that Jonah is just, man, a dirty dog for being in the place that he's in. And, and come on, dude, get with it. You think the fish swallowing you would be enough? But no, that would probably be me. me. Drifting right back to sulking in whatever I needed to sulk in, being hard-hearted however. But, but what we see here in this moment as God appoints this plant is him moving yet again toward Jonah in grace and mercy. I mean, he's moving toward this man that he has called who's over in the corner pouting with a hard heart, with a bitter heart. I mean, is that not a picture of our God? That, that he continues to come after? That he continues to, to move toward? I mean, what we see throughout this book that I just absolutely love, one of the attributes of God that's on display is his sovereignty. I mean, there is no, there is no limit to his rule and reign. I mean, he is sovereign over the whole world. He is sovereign over everything that happens in it. He's never helpless. He's never frustrated. He's never at a loss. Our God is never upset by anything that, that we do or don't do. I mean, he, it doesn't mess up his plans. It doesn't throw him off. I mean, God is sovereign and in control. And we've seen that in play throughout the whole book, throughout the whole book of Jonah. I mean, the, the thing I love about God is that he's a good father. I mean, he, he is such a good father. And that's, that's what we see at play here. I mean, he is so patient. He is so intentional. I mean, he is loving enough to let Jonah learn the hard way if Jonah so chooses to learn that way. I mean, he's loving and gracious enough to even let Jonah pout for this moment or to go the long way if he needs to go the long way. Why? So that he'll eventually learn that lesson. And what I've learned about God is he's the same way with us. He is the same way with us as his children. As hard-headed as we want to be, he allows us for a time period. As stubborn as we want to be, he allows us for a time period. If we think that we need to go down this way, he's loving and gracious enough to let us go because there's a lesson waiting us down there. Why? Because he's got a plan and a desire and it's not going to be short-circuited about what even we think we can do. Even our rebellion, even ours, God can still use and God will still use to get us back to the place where he needs us. And that's what we're seeing God try to do here in Jonah. He's going to teach him a lesson. And if Jonah needs to go over here for a bit, God's going to allow him to go over there for a bit because God is over there as well. 
And God's going to work and move even in that. So let's look at the lesson that, that God's teaching Jonah here as he continues in verse 6. So God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. I mean, think about that for a moment. A rebellious, pouting, bitter prophet. And God still moves toward with compassion and love and grace. And he still moves toward him in his discomfort. He still moves toward him in that. Save him from his discomfort. And then what we see even here in this moment is God's even sovereign play is at it again. I mean, he's sovereign over the plant of the field. It causes this random plant to start to grow and come up over his head and shade him. I mean, God is just constantly moving toward Jonah with compassion. I mean, is he not? And then look at, his, look at his response and his mercy. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So Jonah's excited. The day that he's in, the discomfort that he's facing, God even blesses and moves in the midst of that. And guards him and protects him. Why? Because God is doing a greater work. God is, is, is getting at a greater issue here. And so Jonah is exceedingly glad because of that plant. The crazy thing is, this is the first time we see Jonah respond this way in the book of Jonah. I mean, we're a few verses away from being finished. And his heart, his, his emotions, his acting is exceedingly glad because of the plant. I mean, is, is that not crazy? Over a dumb plant... He gets excited. Uh, he was delivered from death at sea, and you don't see him rejoice that way. It, the people of Nineveh repent. I mean, this, this whole place is going to be wiped out by God because of their wickedness and sinfulness. And he isn't excited or he isn't glad over the reality of them uh, repenting. But he gets excited over a plant? I mean, should, should he not be excited that God moved and rescued and saved? Man, is it not misplaced? And then in verse 7, but, no, God, what we're going to see here is God is going to move in and use this as an opportunity to teach. See, God doesn't waste moments. We need, we need to remember that. God doesn't waste moments and he doesn't just do stuff haphazardly or on a whim. God is very intentional. God is always thought out. God is very purposeful. Nothing's in the spur of the moment with God. And he's going to use this moment here to try to teach and, and get at his heart yet again. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed. There it is again. Man, God just moving and working in the creative order. A plant. Now he's going to appoint something else here. And what I, what I would like to say to you this morning is this. Man, man hold on to that reality. That God is working and doing in your life no matter where you find yourself. No matter where you're at, God is, is constantly coming at. God is constantly trying to get your attention. God is constantly uh, uh, purposefully working and doing. And I think the thing that encourages me so much here is that whenever I read this and look at this and what we're about to see, he appoints a worm. I mean, the smallest of details matter to God. I mean, I mean that's what I absolutely love about this. A plant and a worm this morning is what we're looking at, for goodness sakes. And God is going to use that to get the attention of the pouting prophet, of the bitter prophet. I mean, the smallest of things in this world God uses in monumental ways, church. A dang worm he's going to use to get his attention. A little old worm is what God's going to use. And so if he is that concerned about detail in Jonah's life, in the creation, 
I mean, can you imagine how much he cares about you? About me? What he thinks? So what I would press you here this morning is this. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. But I would be willing to bet that he is doing everything he can in his power to get your attention all the more. All the more. Regardless of what it is, regardless of good, regardless of bad, regardless of how difficult it is. Maybe it was traffic yesterday. Maybe it was a difficult moment at work Tuesday. Man, maybe it was something amazing that happened this weekend to you and your family. I would say in all of those things, what God is doing is trying to remind you and show you how much he loves you and cares for you. In the worst of traffic jams to the most horrible waiter or waitress to the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. God is working and moving even in the midst of that. And so that's what we see him doing here. Using the small worm to get Jonah's attention. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. And so what happens is it withers. So so destruction seems to be the heart of the book. Destruction seems to be kind of the overlying issue here. But after digging deep and walking through this book for eight weeks, the only thing that we see destroyed in the whole book is the plant. I mean, that's the only thing that we see go down. That's it. And in doing that, God takes away the thing that brings Jonah joy. Because God wants to get Jonah's attention. So I believe that we need to do some work here because this is a very, very difficult thing, especially in the day and age that we live in. To understand this, when difficulty comes upon us, when, when struggle happens, when God takes away. I think we, we just don't have the framework to, to deal with or to understand rightly what's, what's going on and what's happening. That even in the midst of God removing, that is still him moving in a way of grace and mercy. When it comes to him taking and removing and making us uncomfortable, that is still God working and having a plan. Because I believe that a loss is meant to show in the heart of believers that Christ is so much greater than even what we lost. That Christ is so much better than even what was removed. And so the reason, church, the reason that conflict and suffering and death exists is because we live in a fallen and broken world. We need to remember that. That this is not the way that it's supposed to be. This isn't the way that God set it up. This isn't the way that that God wanted things to go. But because of rebellious man, because of sinful man in rebellion and self, this is what's happened. We live in a fractured, fallen, broken world. And so we as followers of Jesus, what we have is the opportunity to show that Christ is more precious to us than everything else in the world that we could ever lose. Everything else. That's what we have the opportunity to to put on display for this world. And I mean anything. Anything that you could think of, anything that you could name, anything. Jesus is far better, and if he takes from us whatever it is, there's a reason and a purpose and something far greater at work than we could ever imagine. So if God calls my wife home, if God takes my kids, if God removes my house, if God takes from me everything everything what do I still have him I have him and he is far greater than my wife my kids the money in the bank the house the car the job the security I think I have and whatever I think I've mustered up he is far far greater than all of that So we have two options every time we experience loss. 
two responses, two options. We can either hate God and get mad and rail our fist at him and be frustrated, or we can hate sin. Or hate sin because loss comes as a result of what? Sin. Loss comes because we live in a fallen world. And what loss does is reminds us of the condition of this world and points us to the horrors of sin. It points us to that. And so loss is always a reminder that there's something better. Loss is always a reminder that there's something better. First Jesus and second eternity. He is far better. Far, far better. My fear is that we love here and now far too much. That we live with a closed, grasped hand. And Jesus would say, no, open hand. I'm far better. I'm far better than your spouse. I'm far better than your kids. I'm far better than than anything else that you could ever imagine or think of. I love what Paul says. Paul says this in Philippians 3.8. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Uh, You can see it. But Paul Paul says this, and this this is heavy and weighty. He says this, indeed, I count everything as loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says everything can be lost as long as I have Jesus. The greatest thing in my life is Christ is what he's saying. Everything else can go. Everything else can be taken. Everything else can be stripped. Everything is lost because I've got Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. For the sake of knowing Christ, for the sake of walking with Jesus is what he says. I have suffered the loss of all things. What's all things? Absolutely, positively everything. Uh, What Paul is saying is that there is nothing else in this world that even comes close to. Nothing else. I have suffered the loss of all things. And then he goes a little bit further and he says this. And he says, I count them as rubbish. Uh, We've got kids in here and we're on church on a Sunday morning. Paul's a little bit not as dignified as I'm going to be. But he says everything else is crap. And crap is the nice, cute Christian way of saying it. In the original language, that's, that's what he says. Dude, everything else compared to knowing Christ is dung, is what he says. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. He says there's nothing else that will even come close. Nothing else that will, that will even measure up to. Nothing. And so, so church, a world full of hurt and loss that exists. Why? To remind us that there's something so much greater than what we lost. So much greater than what we lost. And for those of us who are in Christ, we will get some of that back one day. We will have that back one day. And the greatest thing that we'll gain in that day is Jesus himself. Not your spouse, not granny, not mommy, not not the stuff, but it's Jesus. He's the greatest thing that we inherit and get on that day. Christ, that's what's so much greater. So what I've learned is this, is that loss will get our attention, but how we respond to that loss will expose whether, our, whether or not our heart has become too attached to something it shouldn't. That's what I've learned. That when loss comes, in that moment, God will show us really, really quick. Are we loving something too much and not loving Him enough? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't hurt, that we shouldn't mourn, that we shouldn't miss. I'm not saying that at all. But it will expose real, real quick where our hope is, where our security is, where our everything is. And so Jonah, as we've seen throughout this this book, it it just reveals his heart. It, It shows that his heart is attached to something that it shouldn't be attached to. And God here, once again, allows Jonah to go through something that's going to cause him pain, that's going to show him really where his heart's at. And God does that why in hopes of turning his heart. 
getting his attention, drawing him back to something that is far much greater, and that's going to be God himself. Verse 8 says this. It says that when the sun rose, God appointed. There it is again. I love it. The plant, the worm, and now he's going to appoint something else. What? The scorching east wind and the sun to beat down on his head so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. I I mean, dude. I mean, there are some things that that, will get my attention and upset me, but a plant? Bro, I mean, I mean, this, is he not petty? My gosh. I'm like, when when does God say, okay, enough. I mean, just send that fire and just take him out. But that's not God's heart, is it? No, he, he continues to come after Jonah. He continues to get his attention. He continues to engage him. But what we see is Jonah missing it yet again, even in the engagement. I mean, even in this moment, I'm just like, I'm, I'm just like, ugh. I don't know if you have people like that in your life. Like, God, would you just wake them up? Like, holy cow, oh, they're just, and if you got kids, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, good gosh. Like, dude, I have told you 500 times. And then God ever so lovingly reminds me of him telling me those 500 times too. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so funny that we're so quick to point out, we're so quick to be, um, uh, to let our patience wear down with, or we're so quick to be like this or like that, all in the reality of, it's usually because we've got issues in our life that we're not handling. We've got areas in our life that we're not pressing into and allowing God, God to even after the 501st time. And then what I love here in verse 9 is this. But God said, even in the midst of this ridiculousness and this craziness that, that God's singing Jonah, look, he engages him yet again with conversation. And he says this, do, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And look at his response. Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. I mean, what in the world? Jonah, are you kidding me? God's trying to show Jonah how crazy he is, where his heart's at, how hard it is. And what Jonah's doing, he's just revealing how much more concerned about personal comfort than he is about the spiritual state of an entire place. I mean, it blows my mind. So church, what I would press us this morning is that we better not become that place. We cannot let ourselves get to that place. We need to guard our hearts so closely, so closely, or we'll be the same way. I mean, Jonah's hard-hearted over these people who've repented, and God just continues to try to show him and continues to try to point that out to him and make him aware of that. And he just won't have it. He just won't have it. See, when you try to justify sin and disobedience in your heart, and you don't act in glad obedience to the Lord, you'll end up living in a way that that says just hell to this lost world, to, to hell with them. And when your heart becomes hard, hear me, you do not have a desire for what? Time with the Lord. When your heart becomes hard, you don't have that desire to spend time with him through his, through his word or, or through prayer. You don't have time for, or desire for fellowship with other believers. You, you don't want to have community with other believers. You don't want to live with other believers and be encouraged by, uh, held accountable, lifted up. When, when your heart becomes hard, you don't have a desire for serving his bride, the church, by giving of your talents. When your heart becomes hard, you don't have a desire for engaging the lost world. And that's detrimental for us, church. And so we've got to do everything we can to guard against those hard hearts. We have got to do everything 
to combat that. And the way we do is we press in all the more. We press in and seek all the more. We, we pray, we engage, we, we allow him to, uh, to wound us. Why? So that, that, he can, that he can heal us. Allow him to, to cut us deep. Why? So that he can apply a salve and he can sew us up and mend us back. Why? So we can come back stronger and better and, and more like him. And look at what he says in verse 10. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And so what God's trying to do is show Jonah how inappropriate it is to have this pity and compassion on the plant for which Jonah did nothing for. He's like, like, you're broken and upset and devastated by the plant? Dude, you were just sitting there and that thing comes up and I've created it and I've made it. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it. You didn't tend it. You did nothing for the plant. It was a gift. And what, what God's trying to do is show Jonah of how crazy this conversation is. How crazy that, that Jonah is not in this type of a position or place. See, I think, God, I think God invites us in and he enjoys this kind of conversation with us because what happens is in it, I mean, we're revealing our heart, we're, we're opening up, we're getting things off our chest, we're, we're, we're being real with him, although he knows. So we might as well be that way with God, shouldn't we? I mean, he is aware of and he knows the, the heart and the thoughts of man. And so I believe that he enjoys that. Us coming in, the, the thing is this though, is that, is that when we engage in that, we need to be doing that for a purpose. Not to try to convince or sway God, but, but, but to, to look inwardly and figure out what's happening inside of us. To try to work through what's happening inside of us. I mean, the thing that blows my mind is, is that Jonah's in no position to, to question him like this. Over a ridiculous plant. It's like me, I, I can remember I was, um, I was about 16, I had just got my license, it hadn't been long, and I'm, I'm out driving around, and I end up going to a, a different, like, a couple towns over, where the, the, the big, we're in West Virginia, so this is like the big city, um, uh, well, because anything that has a stoplight's a big city to us there. Um, so so I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm at the one that has like, like, like more than 10 stoplights, so I'm at, at that city, and I've got, um, got my little uh, cousin with me, he's, he's about five, and, and I'm out driving around at 16, and um, I mean, as a kid, and you're growing up, and you're learning to drive, I and mean, you really don't pay a whole lot of attention, like, like how to, where to go, but I mean, but you, but as a kid, you're not gonna let your parents know that you don't know where you're going. So I'm like, yeah, mom, dad, I'm good, yeah, let's do this thing, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I know, I know, I've been around with you forever, I know. So, so he's in the back with me and we're driving and I'm trying to get somewhere, I can't remember where I'm trying to go, but I'm trying to get there and as I'm trying to get there, I end up getting lost. And my little five-year-old uh, cousin in the back says, well, why don't you turn here? Why don't you sit by there and be quiet? Well, you're lost. I know I'm not. And what I've learned is that you're never lost as long as you've got gas in the tank, right? So, we're just exploring, dude. We're just exploring. So, so I'm driving around. Why don't you turn here? Hey, you should have turned about there. You barely know your address. Sit back there and be quiet. Let's turn the radio up. And it's almost like what we see is, is that's Jonah. That's a picture of what's happening here. Jonah's the five-year-old in the back seat telling God, giving him directions, and he didn't even know which way's up. He doesn't know what's even going on. He, he just doesn't understand and get it. But, but what does God do? God continues to engage. God continues to allow. God continues to listen to. And in verse 11, he says this, and, and, should I, and should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120 persons? See, by estimation's sake, they would say that there is even, there's more like over 600,000 people. 
And, and then look at what he says here. And, and, and church, I, I just want us to home in for a moment on this statement because this is one that, 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 should, that should cause us to stay awake at night. Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120 persons? Listen to his description. Who do not know their right hand from their left. Church, that, that should wreck us. That should break our heart. That there are people who don't know their right from their left. And this isn't a learn type thing. This is, oh, they can't even do math or they can't read. This is the spiritual state of a people. That's what God's pointing out. Should I not have pity on? Should I not move compassionately toward? Should I not care for? It just shows that he is clueless about the things of God. That he has no idea of the heart and nature of God. Who all throughout this book has done nothing but the same thing for him. Nothing. Nothing. Church, that's the world we live in. This is the place we reside. There is a world that don't know their left from their right. And I don't care if they're in the Bible Belt. What I'm seeing and what I'm learning is there are more people moving in here than we can even begin to fathom that don't have a clue about this Jesus that we worship and love and desire. They don't even have, they don't have an understanding of who God is. And he's appointed Jonah to be his man to go and proclaim. And Jonah's heart is hard. And I know we like, like, we like to give Jonah bad rap and I don't think we can fully grasp or get our minds around because you've got to think of Jonah. These people are wicked and, and deplorable and just awful. And so, so they were just, I mean, just grotesque type people, these, these people from Nineveh. And when they would take you captive, the way that they would abuse you, the, the way that they would use you, the things that they would do to you only to murder you. I mean, so we've never been sitting in our home to have somebody come in and grab our kids and take them and us be able to do nothing and watch them murder them in front of us or to take our spouse or to take stuff that we love or to burn down our whole town. Like, so, so, so I know we like to give them a bad rap. But Jonah doesn't realize his own sin. And God wants to move toward that group of people to rescue and redeem them. And church, we're living in that same day. They may not rob and take from us and steal and, and, and take the life of. But man, the people in this world that don't know Jesus, like you know what happens, right? If someone dies not saved, not born again, what that entails for them, eternity, eternity separated from God. I'm not even worried about the fire and the gnashing of teeth, the worm down, the do I'm not even, that, that, that stuff, that's irrelevant, not irrelevant, that's very relevant, but, but that's, that, that's nothing compared to absence from God forever. The torment of that. Man, I can't imagine what that would be like. That should be the driving force for everything that we do. Absolutely Everything. For those who don't know their right from their left, I mean, they're clueless about their condition, 
clueless. And we as a church have done a horrific job of making them aware. And I'm not saying we've got to stand on the corner with a bullhorn and tell everybody how bad they are and they're going to fry in hell and fry like a sausage. It's going to be, no, we engage our world. We love and care for and walk with and point out and share the gospel. The problem is we don't talk about him. The problem is we don't share him. The problem is we, we don't even open up our mouth. And then when we do, it's, it's never about him. And don't even get me started on what we live for. Don't live for. I mean, we will fight tooth and nail over our ridiculous political stances, but we won't tell the lost world about Jesus. Shame on us. Shame on us. We're more concerned about what the president does or, or the government does or doesn't do than we are telling somebody about Jesus. God help us. Yes. God help us. Forgive us. And the problem is we don't even care about it. You're exactly right. God has a love for these people of Nineveh whom he created. And it's far different than Jonah's indifference to their damnation and the greater Jonah's concern for this stupid plant. So God has a desire about people. He cares about people. He has a desire to save that's what this book is about. And, and even in the midst, God using a rebellious, hard-hearted man to do it. And so I just want to, to close, I just, I just want to be very direct and upfront, as if I haven't already, right? But I want us to feel the weight of this. I want us to feel the weight of our sins so much so that maybe we'll have the Holy Spirit to make us uncomfortable in it. And as a result of that, we'll repent of our sin and, and repent of our inaction and our complacency and, and get to being about what Jesus has expected us from the moment that he saved us. And so the question I would ask you to close is this. Do you really care? Do you, do you care? Do you even think about the state of our world outside of the current political landscape or outside of the economical landscape. I, I'm, I'm talking about the state of the soul. Whether someone's lost or someone's saved. And I'm not looking for a verbal answer when I ask that question of you caring. That's, that's, I don't want to show of hands. I don't want, because I would believe that everybody in this room, including myself, would raise my hand and say, yeah, I care. I, I really care. I'm interested in action. That's what I'm interested in, church. I am interested in action. So do you want to know if you really care about people, about the lost, about the condition of this world? Because if you really care, then you know. You know some things. You know the state of someone's soul. No, no again, we, we can't see the heart. We can't see the motives. We can go off their responses, what they say to that question. We can go off their actions, how they live it out. We can go off those things. But, but if you, this is the direct part, if you don't know the state of those people that you run with, and I don't care if they're here in the church with you today. I mean, if you, just because you're here today doesn't mean you're his. Just because you've walked through the doors and you've sang some songs and you've bowed your head when we prayed and you can even turn to the book of Jonah on your device does not make you any more saved than anyone else in this world. 
It's about a relationship with Jesus. So if you and I do not know the state of the soul of those people in our circle, then we don't care. Then we, we just don't care. I mean, we could say it all day long. But if we don't know where they stand on Jesus, and not even stand on Jesus, not even believe, because there's a difference in believing and believing. I mean, the demons believe. But this belief, this faith, changes absolutely everything about you. Everything. And so if we don't know, we don't care. The second thing I would say about this is that, is that if we really want to know if we care about people and about the lost, then there's obedience in action. We're going to be obedient and we're going to put forth action. Let's do it like this. Who did you tell about Jesus this week? Who did you tell about Jesus last week? This last month? Dang, it got quiet. What about this last year? I'm just not that good. And the thing is this, this is where I want to press you for a moment because the moment that you start to defend why you have not, it's just further pointing out that you don't have a clue. And you better be careful because that's exactly how Jonah ended up where he was at. So the moment we try to defend why we haven't shared, they might not like me anymore. You're living your life based upon whether somebody likes you or not. You better worry about the king of kings liking you. Which is just for the record, he does. He loves you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. Or, I haven't shared because I just, what if I say something wrong? Do you know how many conversations I've had that I've had to go back to and say, oh, let me tell you something right now. Like, ah, blotch that. I thought this, and then I read, and God convicted me, and he showed me. I mean, I couldn't imagine. I've got some DVDs of sermons that I preached when I was in college. Dear God, I'm sorry. I mean, y'all have only had to put up with it for two and a half years. Can you imagine what I was like by then? I mean, man. Oh, I shudder when I watch those things. Gosh. Or I'm just not good at it. You're never good at things you don't practice and put forth attention and effort to. I'm just not good. Well, then go, you, go get good at it. Well, how do you do that? You, you read, you study, and you talk to people. That's how you, that's, and the reality is you're, you're never going to get good at it or never going to feel like you're equipped enough or you're ready enough. Or you're, and you don't need, you need the Holy Spirit. You don't need to lean on your own abilities. Your own talents. I mean, what I've found to be the best is just those moments in like, holy cow, here I go. I mean, and your heart's about to beat out your chest and your stomach is turning in all kinds of knots. And you're like, crud, uh, Jesus. And you're like, what? Because I'm tight. No, 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 Jesus. All right. And, and I just, I just, I just want to just soften the blow because it's always going to get weird when you start talking about Jesus. Even with like your religious friends, your safe friends, it, it gets weird at first. It's difficult. We, it's so much easier to slide to the stuff that really don't matter than it is to have deep soul type conversation. 
And so if you want to know if you care about people, if you care about the lost, there'll be obedience and action. So what did you tell about Jesus this week, last week, last month, this past year? Because if you haven't, you don't care. If we haven't, we don't care. Who, who have you walked with to live out who Jesus is? Intentional, life-on-life type stuff. Those hard, difficult conversations to the encouraging, gushy ones. Who have you walked with to live out Jesus this week? Last week? Last month? This past year? And I'm not going to give you a pass with your kids or your wife. Because us men, will cheat and try to go the shortcut. Well, I prayed with her twice last month. Good Lord, can she not? I mean, no, no, no. You better be walking it out with them. One, if not, you're in sin there and just need to repent, period, because that's what Scripture says. You as the man of the house, me as the man, we're called. That's just, that's beginner level basic. Yeah, amen. You don't have to pray about that junk. You just do it. Your spouse and your kids, absolutely, man. I'm talking about even outside of that, though. I mean, like, like, who are you doing life on life with? I mean, who are you rubbing shoulders with? Who are you talking with? Who are you having those kind of conversations with? If you haven't, you don't care. And I would even say it this way. Who have you allowed pour into you this week? Last week? Last month? Maybe last year? Have those difficult conversations with? To kind of press? To kind of rub? Who have you, who have you given the opportunity and the ability and the freedom to do that to you with. Because if you don't, if you haven't, you don't care. And it's just the hard reality of it. The hard reality of it. I just want us to feel that for a moment. And what I'm hoping that we feel is the good gift of conviction there. And I say good gift because you don't have to duck your head. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And if that's where you've been this last week, last month, last year, the great news is today is fresh in there. And His mercies are made available in this moment. And all we have to do is agree with the Holy Spirit in this moment of conviction and say yes and amen. God, I am sorry. I am so sorry. You want me to pull out the curtain for a second? I had three hours on a golf course yesterday. With my eight-year-old playing in a tournament two other dads and two kids and not once did I mention the name of Jesus. I don't care. That's what I showed in that moment. And am I, am I going to get labeled? Is it going to be weird? Yeah, absolutely it is. And when will I ever outgrow that stupid middle school stuff that we do? And like, oh, they were like, ah, and get, ah. At 37 flipping years old, and I can't get over that. I'm concerned about that. Or I'm engaged in the game. Shame on me. Shame. 
they're not going nowhere. There is nine holes until we finish. And these are little eight-year-olds hitting that ball around. And it takes a while. It takes, if it, if it takes you three hours to play nine holes, don't invite me. We should be almost finished with 18. But me in the middle of that didn't say not one word. And so what God's done is convicted me. God has met me in that place and he has reminded me, you're my son, you're my boy. Golf is great and I've created that as a good gift to you guys. But the greater gift is me. So you know what happens next time? And you can ask my kid if I do this, okay? So, so here in two weeks when this happens again, I need to go apologize to those dudes. I just need to tell you, I'm sorry. I was more worried about a golf game than I am the state of your soul. I love Jesus with everything in me, and I hope that you do too. And if I can ever do anything to have more conversation with you about that, you, you know how weird that's going to be for the next three hours after that? We just got to care. And we got to get to the place where we allow God to work us over and allow him to pour in us that desire to care. Man, how much of a Jonah I was yesterday. How much of a Jonah we were this week, last week, last month. Man, I just, I just my hope and prayer is that God would convict in this moment, we'd feel the weight of it. And do you know what? Even in me not, sh- and I'm a dang pastor, y'all. Like, I mean, how crazy, that's stupid, that's dumb. Sorry, I shouldn't say it's stupid in church. That I, that I didn't even, I mean. I so what God does is confront me. And in that moment, I said, God, I'm sorry. Break my, and, and, and I'm telling you right now, like, like yesterday or last night, whenever he hits me with that reality to, to this morning, like I'm driving in this morning and I, I have worship music playing. And I'm like, like there was a point, I almost had to pull over because I'm just like, I'm snotting and tearing and my eyes are like, I'm, I'm like, it, it, was, it was a mess. It, it, I mean, it, it was but that is a good gift from God. It reminds me that I'm his. It reminds me that he loves me, that he cares for me. It reminds me that's him moving toward me. That's him engaging me. And that's not him saying, son, sit down, you're done. I'm done with you. You're a pathetic little pastor. You don't even, you can't even, no, you can't stand up and tell them anything about me now because you're, you're worthless and you don't even tell. No, no, no. No, he says, no, I love you, son. I care for you. You know what? You're going to do better next time. You're going to do better next time because I'm going, to, I'm going to press you more. I'm going to love you more. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to teach you something from now till then. I'm going to do a work in you. There's going to be these plants that are going to come up and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, bring you comfort and I'm going to bring you this and then there's some time I'm going to take it. I'm going to do all of this stuff because I care for you and I want for you next time. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know what God's stirred in your heart. I don't know what he's doing in you. I don't know if you care or if you don't care. Judging by the current state of our world, I would say that we, we, all of us in this place, don't care near enough as we should. And my hope and my prayer is that God would break us and wreck us. Break us and wreck us. And so my hope throughout this whole book is that God would just, would just do this work in us to convict us so deeply. May that we would repent of our lack of urgency in sharing the gospel. May that we would, we would feel that conviction and that in that, he would ignite us individually as well as corporately to be a people that is serious about seeing the lost turn to Jesus for salvation. That's been my hope. That's been my heart. And what I want to do is I want to show you a video real quick of a guy who's got that same desire, that same passion. And I want you to see this. I want you just to hear his story for a moment. 
My name, My name is, is Brenton Easley. I'm a uh, local pastor uh, here in Spartanburg. I also uh, have committed to serving in Nepal uh, over the last uh, seven years. Uh, since 2011, I've been journeying over to Asia, specifically in India, where I was serving to unite some lay leaders and local church pastors and teaching them discipleship techniques and evangelism. But during those mission seasons, I was able to meet somebody who actually became uh, my best friend, and he is a Nepalese pastor. And it was during those encounters with him that 2015 rolled around. And during that time, he began to really struggle as their a governing body decided to pass a legislation that essentially outlawed evangelism in any form uh, that would convert people from a historic religion, such as Islam, Hindu, or Buddhism. Um, Nepal is a very interesting country. They have only been open to Christianity since the early 1950s. So really when you look at it that way, uh, they're still in first and second generation believers. Uh, it's a very young country for Christianity. And with that being said, uh, this issue that the governing body was passing was very staggering. And it was something that was concerning, especially for pastors. So as we began to discuss the issue, he ask if I could maybe help them uh, in any way of uniting some of their pastors together and walking through this time with them online. So we began to correspond online and do video chats. And then in 2016, I made my first journey over to Nepal. And what that was specifically about was to meet together with these pastors that I had already built these relationship with and teach their congregation some of what we had been walking through together. We were discussing what true discipleship is. We were uh, talking about how to handle certain issues as they could arise and the boldness of faith really boiled down to it was encouragement sessions. They had me there to encourage them from the West and, and to say that I'm there supporting them and praying with them. And that kind of turned into the ministry of what I'm doing today. Ever since that time, uh, about every 16 months, I try to be in Nepal where different things take place. Sometimes I'm teaching at the seminaries, sometimes I'm uh, doing conferences, but every time that I am there is packed full of events where I go to churches and get the pastors together and we discuss major topics that they're struggling with within their churches during that time. So it could be uh, as simple as financial issues and how to bring in the tithe. It could be hard issues such as divorce, alcoholism. Uh, we've talked about uh, how to raise deacons in the church and the responsibility of those deacons. All of the different things that we encounter together during those times is to equip them and to build them up. 
my goal in going over to Nepal is not about evangelism. What I do is I train. I spend my time and my vision in, in doing this is to equip their pastors and their leaders to do the things that we do here with you as our congregants. It's in those times together that I'm enabling their pastors and encouraging them to, to really fulfill their roles. Uh, what I try to do during that time is I give a little bit of teaching and, and then I, I write curriculum for them throughout the year. I make sure that I can get those uh, resources over to them so that they can use them in their different ministries. And ultimately, I assist them in raising funds when that's necessary. Uh, pastor's support is very hard over there, so of course there is that financial need. But then I really tried to recruit some people. Each trip I tried to take at least one person uh, with me to kind of get them excited about what's happening there in Nepal and, and how uh, we can encourage them in ministry. And then ultimately, I tried to unite those churches. I know as Baptists, sometimes we focus a little too independently on our own bodies. And I want to bring all of these churches together and show them that the support of each other is what they can focus on. And in doing that, they have an arm to lean on. So uh, this is kind of where I'm at and, and what I focus on. And uh, I am excited about what I do. I get resources to send over and to write for the Bible colleges, even for elementary school students uh, whenever we're teaching. It's a little bit of everything. So always prayer support is, is what we need. So thank you, New Life, for your support in the past, for your prayer support, for your financial support, um, even just for the smiles and the, hey, how are you doing? And uh, anytime you see me on Sunday mornings, all of those things are so greatly appreciated. So he, throughout this series, we, we've shown some different ministries. We support people, we support things like that. And this is another one we want to support and get a, get a partner with to take the gospel to the nations, to, to share. I mean, the things that he does over there and, and the opportunity to, well, it's because he cares. I mean, think about that. The first generation, second generation believers. That means the first time anyone in that family has come to know Christ, has walked with. I mean, I mean Christ being made known. In, I mean, what an opportunity there. What an opportunity. And so as we close, the band comes back up. I just want to ask you, do you care? Where are you at? What's God stirred in your heart as a result of this morning? Is there sin? Is there a lack of caring? The way that you start to make that right is right now. And it's through repentance. It's asking God to break your heart. It's telling you're sorry. It's turning from that sin of complacency, being lackluster, fearful, whatever it is, and turning to Him, leaning in on Him, allowing Him to be for you that source of strength and power. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what God's stirred in your heart. But by all means, I, I just encourage you this morning to be obedient to whatever it is that he's leading you in. If you need to come to this altar and pray, if you need to talk more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, and we count it an honor to be able to serve you in any way in that capacity. Father, help us this morning. 
God, tune in to your heart. God, I just want to say thank you for the series. Thank you for this morning. Oh, God, the awkwardness that was in this room. Jesus, I think is a good thing. It's what we do with it now that will show where desire and heart lies. That will maybe be a pillar that we stick up from this point on. That will stand the time, the test of time. So God, do a work in this place. 